Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're going to talk about props in the pandemic, but I want to take a minute here and add a little context. Back in May of 2020, I aired an episode about Independent Studio Services, a prop house headquartered just outside LA. It was episode nine of season five, if anyone wants to go back and check it out. However, we recorded the episode on-site in January of 2020, pre-pandemic, so COVID-19 wasn't even part of our discussion. Today, those guests are back, and we're going to catch up on everything that's happened since we last got together. Now, just a note in advance, both these guys are calling in from their work environment, so we might hear some background noise. Greg Bilson Jr., you're the CEO of ISS. Greg, welcome back to Below the Line. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Greg, glad you're here. Also returning is Scott Buckwald, property master and friend of the show. Scott, glad to have you back as well. Glad to be back. Always a pleasure. Okay, guys. So take me back to the early months of 2020 when coronavirus started making the news, but the impact hadn't yet been felt here in the States. When did you first start to sense that this was going to have a big impact on film production? Well, uh, we were watching the news and we were also concerned that uh, once we started seeing an uptick in cases in the United States, that it would potentially impact our industry because with whatever protocols you might follow, actors and actresses in an onset environment are probably one of the most exposed and vulnerable categories there are. To that point, now I know, um, Scott, you were working on a production at the time. How did that evolve over those first couple of months when the news first started coming in? Around the, we were, I was working on a Jeff Bridges show called The Old Man. And we were finishing off our LA portion, gearing up to go to Morocco for four months. And we just started seeing around the middle to end of February, we just started hearing things and mostly our concern and the irony of it was is that we were all concerned about being in Northern Africa during a pandemic, not even thinking that that would end up being one of the safest places to be. So we started hearing rumors on set that we might push. And I was looking through old emails the other day and about, I would say about the 3rd of March, we received an email that we were pushing two weeks um, before we were gonna be heading to Morocco. And it was just a select crew, but we did have a lot of shipping and you know a lot of stuff involved. Some of our the production designer, the line producer were already over there. Uh, and then on the, the morning of the 11th, we got an email and I got a call to the uh, unit production manager's office that uh, the studio just shut us down. And we were done in LA already at this point, but we just had a hard, we're not going now, we're not going ever. And it just got shut down all at once. Wow. And it was a, it was a scramble to get the producer back because we were told that there was one flight left out of Morocco that would take him him and the production designer to London. Uh, and it was a scramble to get all of the costume and props and everything that was being shipped to get it, uh, to get it before it went on the ship or on the plane, wherever it was going to. So we had to catch all that. I mean, it was a mad scramble to just pretend like this wasn't happening. So you guys had a, had really a hard stop as people realized what was going on and, and made changes to the show. Greg, from your perspective at ISS, you must be getting, you're in touch with lots of shows. So is there a sudden stop when things start locking down or did shows start to push and you started to get some hints from your customers? 
Uh, we were in a situation to where we were, we were receiving intel from shows all over the United States and in Europe. And uh, we were trying to react to that as quickly as we could. Um, you didn't want to overreact because you may have to fire back up. And you didn't want to underreact because both your employees and your clients have to feel comfortable with being here and receiving the services that we provide. So it, the single most difficult thing I've ever had to do in my 30 years here at ISS was making those decisions that impact 180 employees and potentially thousands of productions all over the United States. And so tell me a little bit more about how that played out. I mean, I know as we discussed last time, you are there are several sources of revenue or employment or the business that you're involved in. Maybe the graphics work was continuing or even if people weren't renting props or like sort of how did you navigate those first couple of months? Yeah, we, uh, we were adjusting to it as quickly as the stories were evolving and changing. The first approach was maybe just kind of a, a minimal shutdown, minimal staff, necessary personnel only you can't just lock the doors and walk away from this company. There's stuff that we have out all over the world. Production then wants to know, should we bring it back? Do we have to leave it here? Is it secure? What about weapons? If everybody walks away, are the weapons in a secure environment where you can legally walk away from them? So we had a lot of legalities and concerns. So we started reaching out to production. We tried to get a sense as to what each production was going to do different studios had vastly different approaches so we had to be flexible in those first couple of weeks until we literally knew it was going to be a big shutdown anticipated two weeks to a month knowing that it could potentially be longer never anticipating quite honestly that our industry and the world would be shut down the way it was shut down um across the board, hitting virtually every sector of industry, the motion picture business being one of those. Scott, with your production, uh, to go back to the uh, microcosm of what you were doing, what specifically did you do with your props as far as these different choices, whether studio directed or you know the needs of, of where production was at the time? Because we were still in Los Angeles, I had a little more control than, than Greg did because Greg obviously didn't have his hands on all of his stuff that was all over the place. Once all of the, all of my personal items, everything from clothing to props to whatever, uh, got returned back to the production office. For me, it was a matter of just sorting through everything and then making sure everything that needed to go back to ISS went back to ISS. Um, I, I remember a lot of people in the production office were like, oh, this is only going to go a couple weeks. And I know a lot of other prop masters were thinking the same thing, not worrying about what they were going to do with their trucks. I instantly just saw this going. My original feeling was this would be going through the summer. And I remember bringing, making sure all of my props went back to ISS, all of anything from my kit went back into my trailer, just taking stock of everything I have. And then also I had my, I, my trailer is given a courtesy spot by Greg at ISS. So I made sure to have my trailer brought to ISS because I knew that in a couple of days, there wouldn't be any transportation department left on our show. And I did not want to have my trailer left at the production office parking lot. 
Yeah, Scott was uh, very intuitive getting his trailer and everything back to the safe harbor of ISS. There are quite a few property masters all over the United States that had their equipment, their trailers, all the props stuck at a studio. They couldn't get access. Um, this was kind of like a scene out of a movie that we've all done and we've read, <laughs> we've actually propped, you know, the, the apocalypse, the uh, zombie apocalypse and the, uh, um, the, the various viruses that go around the world. And you couldn't get onto a studio lot. Um, and everybody was so freaked out because there was so much not yet known about the virus, how, how contagious it was. Was it airborne? I mean, there's so many variables. So the studios, of course, locked down quick and hard. And those that didn't get their stuff, some of which five and six months sat on a studio lot, they couldn't get access to their equipment. My, my first concern was that too many people were telling me, don't worry, don't worry. And I was looking at it as how could they possibly have a don't worry answer when the questions weren't even coming about yet. But like what Greg was saying, a lot of the studios, it's easier for everything just to say no. So it's easier to lock the doors. It's easier to shut everything down. And that's what I was foreseeing, that people were not going to try to figure it out. The safest way was to go with the negative, And I did not want to get locked out of my stuff. I, I mean, everything from just clothing, you know, socks and underwear were in my prop trailer at the time. Um, just plus, you know, I have a lot of money invested in this trailer that I didn't know what was going to happen to it. I didn't know what the security was going to be. At ISS, I felt comfortable with the security. But it, Interesting, you would say, Scott, the stuff you have on your truck, it turned out that the property masters all over the United States, a lot here in California, were incredibly gracious with the supplies they had on their prop truck. Funny enough, N95 mask. Um, they had a lot of surgical equipment, gloves, things that the emergency services were running out of rapidly. So both Local 44, Toby Bays, the business administrator, the business agent, um, we all got together and we pulled our resources together and we donated a lot of what was on these prop trucks and even what we had in stock at ISS to the various local hospitals and people that were in greater need than we were because um, it was truly an emergency and everybody really pulled together and did a, a very impressive job trying to help out those that didn't have what they needed. I do, you know, it's funny, I totally forgot about that already. I, I, I do remember going through my trailer, going in the jockey boxes underneath, going through my supplies, and it's, it's incredible how well equipped for the apocalypse a prop trailer really is. I had boxes of, of rubber gloves. I had boxes of masks. And I remember you had, Greg, you had a, uh, you had a collection area right in front of the main doors. And I remember just bringing everything over there. So it turns out that the worst case scenario came true where everything came to a, a grinding halt. Although Greg, as you pointed out earlier, you still have to stay in business to keep track of your items and handle things that might come in and such. When this time is stopped, how are you able to adjust or what are you starting to look forward to as far as the future? Well, we did have to adjust rapidly to a complete shutdown. Um, that being said, our primary concern was our employees, getting them home safely. So we were very aggressive 
like Scott, also anticipating this was going to go far beyond the two to four weeks that the studios were initially projecting. So I paid every single employee everything that was owed to them, all vacation, all holiday. And then for each employee also added in an additional two weeks of emergency pay, knowing that they would need as much resources in the front end of this as possible, knowing it would take time for the city, the state and the feds to get involved and help people. So we were very fortunate to be able to take care of our people in that capacity. We basically laid every single employee off with the exception of seven people, um, our controllers, our security guards, myself. We put on the answering machine my cell number so people could get a hold of me directly if they had concerns about what they had, where they had it. Can we still get to ISS? Can you do X, Y, or Z? There had to be some level of communication. Because of our weapons situation, we have city, state, and federal laws that have to be adhered to. So we also had to make sure that somebody was physically here to keep an eye on things when we were down. So it was, it was complicated. Once we realized it was gonna go far beyond the two weeks, um, I have a core group of people that stayed on a few weeks later than everybody else and we started corresponding via email. Um, Zoom became very popular, um, still is very popular. And we started putting together some basic guidelines for what would a reopen look like if and when we get to reopen, knowing that the medical facts were evolving so rapidly. When we first started off, we were looking at this virus potentially living and lasting on certain surfaces for up to two weeks. So when we started thinking about different protocols for reopening, we had to think worst case scenario, this is a horribly contagious virus that can live on surfaces, including props for up to a few weeks. How are we gonna make people feel comfortable having our props in their hands, next to their face, near their mouth, completely exposed if there's potentially a contagion on this device? Um, my biggest fear, and trust me, I, less, I lost a lot of sleep over this, is what happens if the studio's approach is we're not going to get anything from any vendor. We're going to completely control the environment. We're going to buy it. We're going to own it. It will be the actor and actress's personal equipment. We won't have to worry about this. So we really had to think it through so people would feel confident and comfortable coming back. And then at the end of the day, can we really do it? Is it practical? Is it possible? We rent props. We're prop people. We're not epidemiologists. We're not doctors. We've done scripts like this, but this is real. People we know have become ill. People we know have died. Um, this is very serious. Um, I had a personal friend that was in ICU for five, six weeks on life support for two weeks. This was very real to me very fast. So we had to approach it that way. When I visit the website now, COVID-19 protocols are front and center on your homepage. Tell me more about making this pivot and the sort of things that you did come up with originally um, and just sort of getting ready, as you said, for the opening that we'll get to that did happen, but how much of it is taking place in this time or are there rumors of opening that are really pushing it towards these new protocols? No, we, uh, we had no illusions of opening anytime soon. So I kind of handpicked several people, Tara Tremaine, uh, Jordan Snyder, Alex Cernay, 
uh, Hayden Bilson, my son, they were kind of running point on pulling together the different research from both the CDC, from Los Angeles County, what our studios were telling us um, as far as what we had to do moving forward. Then we started doing the research. All right, you have props. We have a million props. They're made of all different materials. They're handled all different sorts of ways. What can we possibly do to intelligently disinfect, sanitize, make safe these props that sometimes come and go several times in one week? It's a very laborious thing to even uh, entertain. Um, so we did the different uh, uh, investigation and research, and we, we went with a company called Larson. Um, they basically, utilizing UBC light systems, will completely uh, sanitize a surgical suite. So we figure if you can't get any cleaner than a surgical suite in a hospital surgical situation, um, that's, that's a great goal to achieve. Um, and our people did a great job. So we have systems in place now that have complete UVC lighting systems that here on site. We built and made portable units of three different sizes that could be sent all over the United States and picked up locally for people to use on film sets. So they could, an actor or actress or director or producer could see the items coming right out of a completely sanitized uh, environment. So it was a lot of optics involved. So people saw that the, the attention, the detail and the concern for their safety was tremendous. Um, we had a combination of one thing, uh, not one single thing was a solution. So we had multiple combinations. We had electrostatic sprayers um, that had EPA approved disinfectant that actually adhered to the props. Um, we had foggers that could go into a whole room in our environment and uh, disinfect 10,000 uh, square feet in an hour. Um, we did social distancing, contact tracing. I mean, we did so many things. Um, it's crazy. We're going to be a much healthier uh, group of people and company moving forward, no matter what happens, because we're always going to look at basic hygiene and sanitation much differently. Let's go from there to when things do start to come back online. Um, my impression is that it started slow. Uh, people in reshoots or people who had started movies before were figuring out how they could safely uh, bring folks back to, to the set. But then it grew pretty quickly. But I'm curious about those early days, Greg, what items were going out? What was the sort of level of, of uh, prop usage compared to before the pandemic? And sort of what was your read as the whole industry started to come back online. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fascinating to observe how the industry came back. I was never so excited to get a phone call on my cell from an actor, an actress, a producer, or a director inquiring as to how to get something. It's like, okay, we're starting back, even if it's this small. So what I found myself doing is responding to these calls and or emails in sending small items, cell phones, laptop computers, things that were specific to, uh, to their needs. And I would FedEx them to the actor's house and the actors were getting GoPros and they were doing kind of their own little bits. The great thing that Scott alluded to is our industry is well equipped for uh, the zombie apocalypse, the end of the world type scenarios. Our industry is also very well equipped to adapt and to adjust to what's given us. This was a great example of that. You had some producers 
um, that were savvy enough to realize, well, we can't do it the old fashioned way, but what happens if we get GoPros in everybody's hands and we do this collaboration and we add it all together and we make it like a live thing. And they did that and they did so successfully. So it started very small and then started ramping up and it, it was kind of nice to see. It's like the business started from scratch and then it got to about a thousand miles an hour in about a four week period. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Scott, when did you go back to work and what were the circumstances that uh, things picked up for you? I started getting calls around the beginning of August and the, uh, to go back to uh, the old man. They had scrapped any plans of going to Morocco and everything was now being planned to, to shoot in the LA area. Kind of amazing. They didn't think of that from the very beginning. Why go to Morocco <laughs> when we could have shot it in LA? Anyway, uh, so they started calling me beginning of August. And at first it was like, it looks like it's going to be next Monday. Then later in the week, um, we're not coming back Monday, the following Monday. And it, it, that happened a bunch of times. But I started feeling that we were going to be back up and running. Finally, we got a, a hard date. I think it was like the second week of September. They brought me back for prep. Uh, and it was a long prep period, more than I would normally have gotten under a, a show coming back. One, I needed to reprop everything. But also, like Greg said, it was a whole new set of rules. And really for the first time in my career for, you know, many, many years, I was going into a prep situation, not quite sure how to prep a show. I, I didn't know whether each prop had to be individually bagged, how much time we would need in the morning to clean things. Uh, I, there was a lot of talk from the producers, the same thing, that we were going to start buying everything. And I did have a meeting. The UPM said the studio is, they want to be able to take control of it and they want to be able to buy everything. And it, it, it kind of lends to the ignorance of what we really do because in that meeting, and I happened to be on a show that had a lot of weapons, had a lot of gadgets, had a lot of things that you can't own. And if you could own them, it's not just going to Target or to Amazon to buy it. And that was the first thing I said. I said, you know, we have a lot of weapons. We have military gear. We just have a lot of things that are beyond either purchasing or certainly cost effective wise, it doesn't make sense to go buy some of the stuff. And it, it validated why I rent things from ISS and they go, yeah, you're right. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll work with that later. And that was the last I ever heard of that. But, you know, of course that knee jerk reaction was, you know, what can we do not to have to do it the way we did it before? There was that, that scramble of people really not knowing what they were doing. But we did come back in September. And everything kind of fell into place. It, it was a new learning curve. I spoke with a lot of other prop masters, heard what they were doing, people who had come back. Um, even most people, you know, came back a couple days before me. So we were just trading information. I would say I got most of my help from other prop people, not so much from the studios. The studios knew we had to be clean and they had a general guidance from a corporate standpoint, but as far as the intricacies of what I do, we pretty much had to do it ourselves. And I remember sitting in Greg's office talking about what Greg's approach was going to be. And I took that on a smaller level for what I would do, what, whatever Greg would do, I would kind of do it on a smaller level as things went out of my prop trailer. Well, let's talk more about that. The procedures that did end up being the standard for 
how you're going to handle props going forward. And they may be different from when things started to where they are now. And so if you want to talk about some of that evolution as well, but last time we talked, it was very clear that the sort of innovation about how to design props that work in this environment, that same sort of innovation, I'm sure is a big part of, of what gets you guys back online in the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, when we just came back, we had to rethink everything. I mean, simple bathrooms had to be redone. We went to touchless everything. So just basic washing your hands. Well, now you don't have to touch the soap. You don't have to touch the door going in. Um, we actually provided exterior bathrooms so people can pick things up curbside and not have to physically come in. So we try to minimize any points of entry, any potential contamination from an outside source. And then everybody that came into the building, initially we did you know, by appointment only so we could control the flow of people. And then we started evolving to taking everybody's information. So we developed our own internal contact tracing both for their safety and our safety as well. If anybody came down, contracted COVID, we would then be able to reach out to the necessary personnel that were potentially in close confines with this person. And it really worked well. I mean, without exception, we came back in pretty good shape. Uh, we had a few people that did have it, but we jumped on it and we quarantined people and we followed all the rules and guidelines. Um, and adapted a few of those to suit our needs a little better. Um, and we've done remarkably well. Well, Greg, as a global company, you must have seen that the situation in a locality might affect how film production was ramping back up. Do you notice differences between Europe and the U.S. or the Canada and the U.S. or even within the U.S., for example, New York versus L.A. or Atlanta? Yeah, each one of our regions take production a little differently. Um, Los Angeles and New York seem to be the most concerned with all the details. Atlanta is a little bit more laid back in Georgia. Um, the company we have in the UK is uh, pretty on top of things, but there's an interesting time dynamic in the sense they're experiencing things four to six weeks before we are because it was really there before it was here. Even the variants that we're dealing with now were all established there first and have now made their way to the States. So we're kind of learning from what they've done, uh, both successes and failures and trying to build on that. Through other conversations that I've had, it seems pretty clear that production is now at full capacity, if not in some cases exceeding what was happening before the pandemic. But I'm curious, Greg, if you've seen a different balance in the in the usage from a prop perspective what's going out or heavier on equipment or just what changes you've seen even if we're now operating at full capacity uh yes i would uh i would agree with you production is uh at full capacity and then some i will say and i think a lot of people believe this that uh, without our industry and the ability to stream a lot of entertainment uh, people would have killed each other by now. Thank God we had some TV to watch. Uh, and it's changed the business model for studios releasing films as well. It's, it's been an interesting business dynamic as well as a, a tragedy on a lot of levels. We are definitely busier than we have been in the past, but it's not the same kind of busy. They are writing things to be kind of COVID compliant. The shows that have come back are the smaller shows. They're four people in a room. It's more controllable. You're not seeing 250 background. You're not seeing 30 SWAT guys storm a building or 100 P 
people in a press environment, everything has been scaled down. So yes, we are busier. The numbers aren't like they used to be. They will be, I would say that by the end of this year, we will probably be as busy as we ever have been on a global basis for what is now truly a global industry. Um, those are the changes I've seen. Um, Scott on the production end um, may have seen some similar uh, cutbacks and adjustments to deal with COVID in a more intelligent way. The biggest change is just set protocol. I, I've always been a very hands-on prop master. I like opening the set in the morning. I like being there for the rehearsals and watching the first shot. Now we're, we're all stuck with, with badges. I'm currently on Lucifer and on this show, which is a Warner Brothers show, we're all assigned zones. So I'm in a yellow zone. I'm not even allowed on the set right now. I prep for the next day. I prep for the next episode. But on this entire production, since we've been back from COVID, I have literally never been on set. I have not seen a single rehearsal. I don't get to greet the actors in the morning. And I have two people on set. One person who is a red zone is allowed to make direct contact with the actors. The other person has to stay closer to the cart, is allowed on stage, but not allowed on set when the actors are present. There's a lot of that. It takes a lot more watching what's going on because we don't have as many prop department eyes now looking to back each other up. We also have a lot more in terms of, of background. We're not allowed to, to hand background props directly. So where this would come into play when we have police background, we have belts and badges to put on. Now, per Warner Brothers, we have to have little plastic shoe boxes that the belts, the badges, all of the police stuff go into. We put it on a table, the background comes by and takes their plastic box and has to put on their own badge, put on their own belt. And that gives me concern because a lot of times people don't know how to do it. Uh, we have to really keep an eye on a lot of people doing this all at once so that we don't have a lot of loss and damage. It's just a whole new way of doing things and there's not much flexibility in, in the way that's done. It sounds, Scott, like they're still trying to film in a manner that allows for whatever scenarios a script might have called for pre-pandemic. Are you seeing a lot of change? Are you seeing things written differently to use yeah. less props? Very much what Greg had said. The, it's smaller, where before we would have done a background scene where we might have had 100 background. Now the background has been cut down to the most necessary people. So if we're in a police station now where we might have had 20 police and lots of uh, victims in and out and all of that now, it the, the, the shot might be later at night where there's one cop walking a, a perp in, just smaller in count, no restaurant scenes, no big food scenes. This has been my experience. Just definitely smaller and recognizably so. It's just much smaller in scope. Uh, Scenes where there's principal actors, again, just like what Greg said, we'll only see two, three, maybe four people in a room, not as many big cast gatherings as before. And, and part of what has also made it busier on the crew side of things because of the different zones and the additional personnel needed for cleaning protocols, security protocols, uh, not having four people in a room, there's more people on each crew for each department. So 
to find a good assistant right now has probably never been more difficult in New York, Georgia, Louisiana, California, literally in every region, it is off the hook busy because each show, and if you do the math, there's several hundred or even a thousand going on simultaneously. If each show is eating up two, three, four extra crew people, do the math. We don't have enough personnel. So there's a tremendous influx of new people and then new people in an industry that is protocol and COVID sensitive. It, it's, it's a little crazy right now. My, my crew grew by two people. And I have one person who's essentially dedicated just to cleaning props. I know when we did The Old Man, which was my first show immediately after that. So that was the show where I was really learning what to do. We would, we would set up a, a tent outside the prop trailer and all props would begin and end there. And every morning we would have this one person who did nothing but stay in a tent and clean the props that had to go out and anything from the previous day would unbox things and clean props before they went back into the prop truck. And that's all that person did was clean. Eventually, as we started to settle into it, I was able to, to utilize this person as additional labor because once the system started working and we figured out a schedule for cleaning in and out, we found there was a, a block of six hours or so in the middle of the day. So instead of having that person just sit there, I was able to make good use of it. But what that did was it allowed my department to really run at peak efficiency. Mm. I found myself as a prop master, I found that now I had somebody to do more runs for me. I found that I was able to really concentrate more on prop mastering than at times having to also be my own assistant. And uh, Scott mentioned the cleaning protocol. One of the interesting things that we have found is that not every prop receives a cleansing the way another prop does. So you may have spent thousands of dollars on custom manufacturing a prop with very specific finishes, very specifically for this show. And somebody comes in with some, you know, industrial grade cleaner and wipes it down and that entire finish just evaporates or disappears or the cleaning techniques used on this uh, ruin the prop. Uh, I heard several stories of people finding out at a tragic time when they're like on the film set ready to give it to an actor that the entire finish just evaporated before their very eyes or the prop stopped working because they immersed it in alcohol or uh, some other solution that it wasn't made for. And Greg, do you think that those sort of issues were largely as people came back quickly and not knowing any better? Or is that continuing to be a problem just because there's so much work going on and not enough expertise? Well, it's a little of both. There's always a learning curve with our business on how things are done. Um, you just have to be a little bit more gentle with some of the things. And we're warning people that depending on what materials you, you, you use on set to clean these things. And you're talking about something that on a normal show may have never been cleaned. Not that we're filthy pig pens or anything like this, but um, you just don't often clean things the way we're cleaning them now several times a day from actor to actor. So they're getting an extreme use that nobody really completely anticipated. When this whole process of cleaning props and, and managing them on set, either one of you, are there specific innovations that you're particularly proud of um, as far as solving the solution of, of COVID and at the same time allowing production to continue? 
the one thing I was really proud of, what we were talking about earlier, um, I don't know if this directly answers your question, but just the way we were all going into our prop trailers and finding masks and rubber gloves, that there was a certain, there was a certain rally that I really liked. It, 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 it seemed very reminiscent of the, the film industry's role during World War II, how as bad as the war got, there was never a time when Hollywood slowed down. I mean, even during the, the, the worst parts of the Blitz in London, even movie theaters stayed open. So that need for entertainment was, it, it made me feel special for what I did. I, I would never consider myself anywhere near a frontline worker, but I, I did feel like I was playing a part and I, I did take a lot of pride, even if it was only you know half a dozen pair of rubber gloves that I was able to contribute. I, I, I really relished being able to do that. It, there was a certain spirit, especially in the political climate that we were in leading up to that. It, it felt good to have like a, a, a central cause. Greg, what about on the ISS side? What did you see as sort of other evidence of the film industry innovation uh, coming into play here? Our little mobile carts that we sent out on film sets, the little sprayers that we had that gave people the ability to do some of the things we were doing on site in a mobile capacity. Because at the end of the day, our industry, we're a bunch of carnies that go to different environments each day. We don't have complete control over those environments. So we have to uh, bring our tools of the trade and the tools of the trade became disinfectants and uh, UVC lighting systems. Even though a lot of studios wouldn't get behind that technology, the primary reason they wouldn't get behind that technology was the liability aspect of things. UVC light can be potentially damaging if you look at it. These were in closed containers. If they say UVC lighting was okay to use, then somebody could then make the leap to buying a, a $12 item on Amazon a wand and wave it by, and that clearly wouldn't suffice. We utilize, you know, like I say, Larson, medical grade, industrial technology. The studios weren't necessarily uh, aware that we took it to that level. So the fact that somebody could roll this little, you know, ISS uh, prop jiffy box onto a film set and actors and actresses could see it come out. The feedback was great, both from the clients, the studios, um, on a few occasions, clients came back, uh, Netflix, Disney, ABC sent people to our site to see how we were doing things to make sure that their employees that were working on their shows were safe in doing so. Um, and without exception, the feedback we received from the studios was wonderful. And a prop master in a meeting when asked who he did business with said ISS, oh great, they do it the right way. To hear that, really made us feel like all the effort, all the, the money spent, the, the concern about safety was paying off. People realized we were doing it the right way for the right reasons. And uh, the film industry, like Scott said, World War II, um, other disasters, uh, the show must go on. I know that's cliche, but uh, imagine how different all of us would have done this last year without Netflix, Amazon Prime, downloadable content. I saw more TV shows and films I never thought I would even see. Mm -hmm. um, and it was great. And now we're making a ton more of those because we've gone through all the uh, old content. We need some new content. 
same, you know, using that the, the World War II example, after the war, there was a really strong post-war economy. A lot of people, a lot of returning vets were buying cars and buying houses and moving to the suburbs. The suburbs were created after the end of World War II. And I think what we're going to find now is how great the streaming services are, where so many major films were going to theaters, now they're going to streaming. And streaming, there is no limitation with the amount of screens. You don't have to worry about a megaplex that only has 18 screens. Now a streaming service could just keep making and making. And I think that's one thing we're going to see. For whatever financial hits we might have, as individual crew members, might have felt for the six or eight months that we were all off and not working, I think we're going to be able to recoup that in the, the streaming services are going to be doing far more. And even once uh, regular uh, auditorium theaters are back open, I think the streaming services also will be offering a lot more product than they ever did. I think this is the proving ground where they've come of age. We're, we are going to go from our worst year ever as an industry and as a, a group of companies to probably our best year ever back-to-back, uh, -back, which is a very unusual, unique business situation. I'm just very happy and fortunate and thankful that we are still in business. This is a type of situation, if you didn't adapt to it quickly and do what was necessary immediately, you could be at the other end of that and you could be out of business. And unfortunately for a great many industries and companies, the restaurant business, they've really taken it on the chin. We've all had a tough time, but we're still here standing and we're still gonna make projects. And I feel very fortunate for that. I think we're also lucky in that our customers, we don't have direct contact with our customers. So where we make our products and then they're sold through a TV screen, we are not like a restaurant where the customers have to actually come in the place of business. So where we all have to wear masks and we have to wear face shields and have to wear various badges and IDs to keep us in zones. Restaurants couldn't do that because they still had to work directly with their customers. So we were very fortunate. One, that entertainment is always considered such a necessity. But and similar, you know, similar industries, the music industry and plays and theater, that's completely come to a standstill, still has not opened for operation and will probably be one of the last ones back, kind of a, a sister company to what we do in the entertainment industry. But because what they do is predicated upon physically being in the theater, physically being at the concert site, like what Scott said, ours can be streamed and it's a much simpler uh, fix. And to get people in seats in theaters and at concert halls will be a great sign that things are truly moving forward. Patting you on the back, Greg, I find that, and I don't know if it was other prop houses as well. And again, I always take a certain pride being in the industry within our industry, but I'm amazed at how much, I mean, I saw what ISS had going on. I saw your COVID tents, the, the, the plan you took. And I felt as an industry, the prop department had far more understanding and was preparing for this well before the studios were dictating any plan. When I started The Old Man, I actually presented them the way I wanted to clean things. And a lot of that was from, like I said, hearing other prop masters and seeing what, what ISS had already planned. The industry really did not have the lifeboats ready to go. And 
to kind of, you know, since we're, we, you know, we're always that gray area, we always build things. It seemed like we were at the decks building lifeboats out of the deck chairs when production really didn't know what was really quite what to do. And I think they were, they were held back a lot by their fear of liability. I think they were so afraid of suggesting something to find out that that didn't work and that they were liable for it, that they, they just kind of were a little directionless. Well, the one nice thing about being smaller, uh, owner-occupied, uh, decisions I make don't have to go through a committee. I do what I think is the best thing for my reasons, and I don't have to put that by you know, an army of lawyers like the studios do. In the studio's defense, they were working with complicated guilds and unions and IATSE, and they all came at it from a different perspective. So I think they did a great job as an industry to eventually get out these protocols. But if I waited for all of those protocols to be established, and then I started doing what I needed to do, I would be so far behind the eight ball, we just wouldn't have got it done in time. So we did what we had to do because it felt like the right thing to do. One of the funny things as this went along, and I won't mention names because I am a gentleman, but several of our competitors took exactly verbatim everything that we did, including the carts, the uh, signage. They only put their logo basically over everything that we did. So it was a complete copy of what we did. But in the grand scheme of things, that's a, a wonderful form of flattery. If it gets our production back sooner rather than later, I'm all for it. Healthy competition is a good thing. And I had regular communications through this entire process, even before I ultimately pulled the trigger on shutting down with some of our greatest competitors. And a lot of our clients think that we're mortal enemies, but we're not. We're in the same industry. There's usually enough work to go around so we can all peacefully get along and quasi not really like each other, but get along well enough in a cocktail environment. But we communicated because we had to. Um, and we were talking about what we were going to do, what we were thinking about doing, what made sense. Let's try to have a unified front so we're all approaching this the same way. So people on the outside, not in the industry, may not realize that there is more coordination amongst even vendors as competitors. So we're all trying to do the same thing the right way. Because if one of my competitors does thing, something horribly wrong, and it goes really badly and it ends up on the 11 o'clock news and becomes a big thing, that's bad for me too. So we all want to succeed. So it was, it was just interesting to see that perspective too. We all, we witnessed history and we're still witnessing history. We've talked about some of the changes and that we think things are, are, are busy now. Greg, you said it might be the best year ever. Other predictions for the future of this? How's this going to play out? Well, I think the Dodgers will repeat as world champion. <laughs> I'm an Angelino and I love my Dodgers. Uh, I think a cure for COVID will be a, a few Dodger dogs and maybe a beer because we need that. Fingers crossed. Um, you know what? It has been such an intensely crazy year at so many levels. I don't even want to venture a guess. Um, I mean, we've had politics insanity. We've had COVID insanity. The entire globe has been somewhat insane. Um, I'm not going to make any predictions. I'm going to hold on tight 
be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. We do that, Greg, Scott, you hang in there as well. And we will check back in with you guys, see how things develop. Thanks so much for hopping on today, guys. Great talking to you. Thanks for having us. I love this chat. Thanks so much. Always, always a pleasure. Bye, bye. This completes the trilogy, if you will, of COVID episodes I've slated to kick off season seven. If you've got feedback, I always welcome it. You can send email comments to skid, S-K-I-D, at blowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. Now, we turn our attention to awards season, and we'll start with a discussion of the Directors Guild nominations from an AD perspective. That'll be two episodes in a row, and I'll release them on Monday and Thursday of next week. In the meantime, please rate us wherever you get your podcast. It helps us reach new listeners. And new listeners, I hope you'll stick around for our awards coverage, which are some of my favorite episodes of the podcast. If you'd like to check out what we did last year, you should peruse season four at our website, belowtheline.biz. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Once again, thanks for listening. Be safe out there.